Hi, Pat. Joe, welcome. Hi. That all good? Not feeding back? There's a risk it could feed back, but There's I don't think it is. Is it? Uh, is this thing on? Joe, you are on. Um, tell us, how long have you been part of the church here at St. Dee's? Uh, I've been here, I'm not good at maths, August 2015 we joined. August 2015? Yeah, it's a little while. So a year, year, year and a half? half. And, yeah, uh, and you're married to that lovely lady there? Yeah, to Lucy. It's a family affair tonight. Lucy, yeah. uh, director cousin, of operations. Uh, Louise Ruff earlier, giving a, a word. Of course, it really yeah, is yeah. family. Um, Joe, where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up uh, half of my time just across the river in Wandsworth, the other half down on a farm that my family helped run uh, in Hampshire. Excellent. So yeah. a country boy and city. Yeah, of kind of integrated. I know the tube and I know a field, you know. <laughs> Navigate them easily. Very useful. Yeah. Um, and what do you do in the day, most uh, of the week? Most of the week, uh, as kind of many know, I, uh, my job is to eat ice cream. Uh, I have a meeting every Monday where I eat ice cream uh, and give feedback on it and then try and convince other people that they should buy it. Uh, so I'm a, a taster and salesman for, for Jude's ice cream. Jude's ice cream. Jude, the best in Britain. Anyone tasted Jude's before? Very good. Not doing my job very well. Any Quali you. A quality product. See you later. That sounds like a lot of fun. It doesn't sound hugely hard work. I don't, I, I'm not casting aspersions, this, this but palette, eating ice cream this, this normally what one does in one's spare time. So <laughs> what do you get up to in your spare time? Uh, well, in my spare time, I, I love politics. So I've been doing lots of learning about US presidents from FDR through to Lyndon B. Johnson, JFK, Nixon. It's been great fun. Uh, I, I'm also a touch rugby fan. So a notice next Sunday. 3.45, out on the green. Uh, the Cindy's men are starting to do touch rugby. All are welcome, but it's a, a, a Cindy's man kind of ministry. Uh, invite friends, get people along before church, and then you can shift them into church quite easily afterwards. But 3.45 next Sunday. If you're wanting to be involved, give me your number after the service. On the, on the green, past on the screen. Green. Past touch the screen. rugby. Touch rugby on the green. Uh, amazing. And you're going to come so. straight in here yeah. afterwards? Yeah, dirty glory. That's a book, by the way. It's uh, a book reference. It's a good book. Um, and not a, well, it's a great book, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, you'll be quarantined over at the back section there. Yeah, but yeah. great to have you. Joe, we're going to pray for you, and yes. then we're going to let you uh, preach God's word. Mm. Let's stretch out a hand to Joe tonight. Father, thank you so much for Joe. Lord, he, he mentioned earlier, it's a family affair, Lord, and we are family. Mm. Thank you for our brother, Joe. Thank you that you've made us one in Christ, that we are all brothers and sisters, with the same God as our Father. We thank you for his passions, we thank you for his gifts, we thank you for his love of you and your word, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd rest on this man right now. Come and anoint him. Come and bring life to this message you've put on his heart that burns within him and bring it to us, and may, may it be the very message of God to us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pat. Uh, good evening, everyone. We are going to be looking at the Bible. We're continuing that challenge that Max gave. Good Bible teaching. Uh, so we're going to be Delving into Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 7, uh, which is page 919 in the nice green Bibles. And it will also be on the screen. Uh, so, uh, Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn to tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything you do, sorry, so in everything, uh, do to others what you would have do to them, uh, them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Uh, so this is a passage I'm sure you're all very familiar with. Uh, it's a helpful lesson for children uh, to learn how to be polite. Uh, it's an easy lesson to digest, uh, to learn how to be courteous. Uh, it's a lesson that we remember for sawdust and planks. But rather than follow this line and dive straight in, I want to anchor everything we're going to look at tonight in verse 6. So, in the NIV, it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. It's a stark uh, passage. I, I turn then to the message version, which I often find a helpful way to figure out what is being said. And this is how they translate it. Don't be flippant with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you are only being cute and inviting sacrilege. So something clicked for me uh, when I read, uh, read verse 6 in both versions. And that's why I want this to be the touch point, the anchor uh, for all we're going to look at today. Don't be flip with the sacred. So what is the sacred? Uh, well, for uh, the sake of tonight, the sacred is you. God's children, his precious creation, something that is holy and set apart. It's also his word, his truth. The word can sometimes be caught up into high church or a particular stream of theology, but I want you to hear it as it was intended when Jesus uh, spoke these words. Jesus was urging his listeners not to give holy flesh, the sacrificed meat, to the most dirty of animals, dogs and pigs. Uh, this is an intense and physical picture being offered, a picture that would have offended the holy men and challenged the rest. So before I go into the main chunk, uh, which is mainly going to be looking at accountability, I want to rest a little longer here just to set the scene further. 
when applying this to our lives, we can look at it uh, a couple of ways. Uh, firstly, God's word, uh, his proof. Are we approaching it with the reverence that it deserves? Are we sharing it with the care it requires? Or are we just throwing it amongst the swine? Do we properly understand the relevance that it holds to our world today? And secondly, how are we treating his creation? Do we look at our brothers and sisters with the dignity and respect that they deserve? Do we put at the center of who we are the utter beauty that is God's creation? The care that we are all called to give to it? How are we treating the sacred? How are we treating these holy mysteries? I say this because I find it a helpful groundwork for how we approach accountability. We started to explore this theme last uh, weekend, uh, in the weekend away, and it's also been built up by Tim and Pat over the past uh, few months. Uh, but as I approached uh, this uh, weekend, it was what really struck me. And so uh, I suppose the way to look at accountability is uh, why are we meeting and what are we seeking? Anchored in what um, we understand of sacred, uh, why are we meeting and what are we seeking? When I think of accountability, I hear it in terms of shame, of dread, of uh, sharing the bad things I've done. Uh, perhaps it's formed from a concept that other churches practice in confession. Uh, we go to somebody else, we confess our planks, we dredge up all of that. And this has always made accountability hard for me to uh, kind of chase after, but also to promote. Uh, as none of us, particularly I, don't feel that comfortable in seeking out a relationship where all I'm going to be doing is bringing up all the bad things I've done the week before. And so I wonder how many here that may be the same, that when we hear accountability, we just hear this one siloed picture of confession. Uh, and I suppose first up, accountability is so much more than that. Uh, accountability uh, at its very core has a confessional nature, but it doesn't just stop there. Accountability is so much more than just bringing up. So what really struck me is perhaps I might have the wrong idea of accountability. Perhaps I might have something to learn. Uh, possibly God has something different in mind uh, when it comes to community and to accountability, uh, to sharing and doing life together. In this passage, uh, there is a progression to Jesus' teaching here. Uh, first, accept that we all are broken. We all have difficulty, the planks. Uh, next, that we all have worth, the sacred. And finally, to recognize that God not only wants to help, but he invites us to ask. So looking again at verses one to five, uh, this is the part that we are most familiar with, the planks and the sawdust. It's also got the most obvious link with accountability. We all have stories uh, that we can share of planks and sawdust in our lives. I actually got one when Pat asked me to give this uh, preach a few weeks ago. I was at a friend's wedding, I was an usher, responsibility, duties. We're in this beautiful little church uh, about the size of just where the altar is. About a hundred of us crammed in and it was a beautiful service. The bride walked in, she looked beautiful. The groom was the picture of steady. Uh, but I noticed a few rows in front of me, there was this lady who was taking photographs through the whole service. Now I'm a, I'm a good Anglican. I don't think you should take photographs during a church service. But what was worse is that every time she went to take a picture, there was a little uh, beep beep as it focused and it just kept happening 
through the whole service, the little beep, beep, click, beep, beep, click. And I said, this is distracting. It's going to take people away from the beauty of a marriage, this amazing gift from God. Uh, they were doing the vows. They were um, committing themselves to each other and all the way through, just a little beep, beep, and it was grating, but I thought, be a good Christian man. Not let it take over and distract, as I'm sure it's distracting everybody else in the church. Uh, but the yeah, service ended. It was beautiful. Pat was leading. It was a great job. I walk out of the church to help open the door before the bride and groom leave. I crouch behind the door because it's a bit small just to get out of their way so they can fit through. And then as I step forward, uh, somehow my coat had got caught on a flower and it pulled the flower and the vase that it was in onto the floor and there was an almighty smash. And the whole church definitely heard that. <laughs> you see, we, we all have planks. Um, it, it also turns out that she was deaf and couldn't hear the beep beeps. Uh, I promise you, it, it wasn't, I didn't say anything at the time. Uh, so we have all got planks and most of them are far more serious uh, than crashing a vase at a wedding. But I also know that living in London, uh, we have a very easy and open access to compare both on the positives and on the negatives. We can look at someone in church and think, oh, they've got their life sorted. They've got everything together. I just, I need to be like them. Uh, we can also look at someone and go, oh, thank goodness I'm not like them. Those poor people, thank goodness. Uh, it's uh, like comparing house for house. Uh, Tim explored this a few weeks back. What are we building our houses on? That if we're looking to compare, all we're looking at is what the house is, not what the house is built on. Uh, we can present our public image very easily. Uh, we can look uh, and think they've got everything. But the truth is we are all broken. We all need help. And the truth that Jesus unpacks here is that unless we recognize our brokenness, our need for that plank to be removed, then we won't be any help to our brothers and sisters. If we don't have that self-awareness, to recognize our vase-smashing ability, how can we help others? Uh, so accountability, the starting point is not, I must help this poor soul who needs my intervention. Uh, but as uncomfortable as this is to look inwards and to uncover the planks that we might be standing on, uh, that lust, uh, the greed, uh, the arrogance, uh, and the gluttony. These are planks we can all find ourselves standing on rather than that solid rock of Christ's teaching. What's that rock that you're building your house on? If it's not the rock of Christ, it's likely to be a plank. So don't be flipped with the sacred. You need to carry that high level of self-regard uh, and self-reflection into accountability with others before God. We need to know what a good reflection looks like. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are pearls in the eyes of God and you are royalty and hold exceptional worth. Accountability with our friends, with our community, should hold together on this truth. The reason for accountability is not to get the stuff we've messed up on off our chest so that we can just carry on, but so that we can clear the blemishes off what should be perfection. Your worth is so high that we should be doing everything possible to protect and encourage you. 
in responding to the truth of your word. Accountability should be driven by a desire to see the best possible you flourish and any deficient version squashed. Now, I've got accountability with two people, uh, with my wife and with Max Perkin, who many of you know. Uh, They hold me accountable and flush the dust from my eye, not so that I may feel bad, but that I can flourish. It's much like an eye wash uh, when you have a piece of grit in the eye. Uh, Accountability should be like the vessel that holds the saline solution, God, that cleans your eye. It should also not care for what the world thinks. At the end of verse 6, it finishes with the slogan, in trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Revealing our weakness is not cool, it's not the done thing, it's not what our peers, our colleagues, our friends, our family expect. And we've always got to be showing a consistent and solid self. But Christ's invitation flies in the face of this. The goal is not that we just share our failures, but that it transforms our lives to make us more real with everyone else around us. Uh, Jesus encourages us not only to judge harshly, uh, judge as harshly as we wish to be judged, uh, but unless we have a level of self-reflection to match the judgment on others, how can we truly reflect the grace and truth of Jesus? When we brush off how we are really feeling, when we play down the sorrow, when we ignore the thorn in our side, or not open up about how we're really getting on, we're being flippant with the sacred. We're tossing the sacred meat to the pigs. We might as well swear in church or defecate on the altar. This is the ugly truth that Christ depicted. All of this, the church, and all the reverence we show in this place, is just a picture of what we should be modeling in the temple that Christ has built in all of us. What's the point of offering piety in this place if it doesn't carry on into the world outside to seek transformation? Sharing the planks is not just a cathartic exercise in itself. It's a repentant, transformative exercise that seeks to build our temple, not trample it. Now, we can only do this because the victory that Christ won on the cross and in his resurrection, dealing once and for all with our sin, by bringing it to the foot of the cross, we are able to see that sin washed away. Accountability is not the means to deal, but it is a tool to allow Christ's uh, sacrifice, Christ's resurrection, Christ's truth into our lives. Now, all of this is important because planks do exist. Uh, Something that Pat spoke about a couple of weeks ago are our eyes, our physical eyes, our spiritual eyes. In Matthew 6, uh, verses 22 and 23, Pat looked at these two sets of eyes. And accountability should be caring for these both. So when you are meeting with someone, a question has got to be, what are you eating? What are your human and spiritual eyes taking in? What's feeding your mind, your soul, your day-to-day? And do those you are closest to know your fuel? So I hope this is a helpful way to look at why we are meeting. We're meeting because we are holy and set apart. We all have planks, and we should do all we can not to trample on the sacred. And so then what we've got meeting, what does seeking have to do with it? 
Well, in verse 7, Jesus invites us to ask, to seek, to knock. He gives a wonderful picture of a parent who wouldn't give their son uh, a stone over a loaf of bread or a fish, a snake instead of a fish. If we're not to trample on the sacred, well, what should we do instead? What does it mean to ask, seek, and knock in this context? Well, I think this is what sharing the Christian life looks like. It's sharing the sorrow and the victory. It's uh, seeing Jesus uh, as he tells us that our Father is a kind God who will give us all we ask for. So what should we ask for? Well, this, I think, we can only understand if we know what the point of relationship with God is. To understand uh, who God has made us to be, what we were created for, what's our created order. We have been given this shared mission to steward the rest of his creation, whether it's our brothers and sisters or the physical planet. Our reason for being, and thus the reason for relationship with God, is to partner with him and steward his creation and call out its designed purpose. Whether it's the best way to find, create, make, use energy or how we care for his children. God has a purpose and God has a plan. Accountability is there to help propel us to be the very best we can be and to help us discover what these plans might look like. It's there to help us be the person God has created us to be. Accountability can and should call out that created order in all of us so that when realized, it enables us to pursue life to the fullest and God in the most wonderful ways. Now, we are all very busy and we're very good at filling our time uh, with something. But are we allowing a relationship in which the best can be called out of us? Are we stopping to reflect on who God has made us to be? in seeking to gain a greater understanding of who we are, our created order, and how we were created to be, it's going to be a lot easier when we ask, we seek, and we knock. Because when I was about nine or ten, um, I really thought I was going to be the next James Bond. Uh, honest, honestly, I love James Bond. I, I thought that was me. So uh, Christmas was approaching, and I asked my dad for a spy kit I wanted night vision goggles, I wanted the kind of the ropes, I wanted everything, I wanted all the kit. I'd been to a James Bond exhibition a few weeks before at the Trocadero, and I, I was inspired. I was like, this, this is it. So I asked my dad, Christmas came, I excitedly opened up the box to see what was inside, and instead of uh, all the kit, I got a video camera. Uh, it was a great present, and my dad had heard my request, but he tweaked it, because he knew really what I needed to flourish was not all the spy equipment, the night vision goggles, garroting wire out of the watch, uh, but, but a camera, because really I was a bit more of a storyteller than a James Bond. And the true is the same with our relationship with God. When we go and ask, Jesus tells us that he isn't a father who is going to give us a snake instead of a fish, a stone instead of a loaf of bread. So we know that God is good and kind. But are we asking for the right things? Are we seeking, asking, knocking the door down with requests that will see our lives flourish to reveal the utter beauty of his creation? And please don't hear this as a really bad theology or my prayers aren't answered. That's something different and a challenge 
we all walk through. But we can be sure that he does invite our petitions. When uh, my wife and I first got married, we went on honeymoon, it was awful. Uh, we shared a lot of this uh, at the time in St. Dee's, but we were out on honeymoon and effectively was diagnosed with uh, severe anxiety uh, and OCD. When we came home, she couldn't leave the flat for three months, and it wasn't a fun time. It was difficult. Uh, and uh, it was only with the relationship with likes of Max and Egan and others where we could press in uh, and they would help lift our eyes to God. Now, we could have just prayed, prayed, prayed for healing. That's all we wanted. We just wanted healing. But I feel that would have just been the comparing house for house. If Lucy isn't a healed person, well, then she's not like this house, therefore it's not right. But instead, we, and with Max and Megan's help, we've delved into what is the rock that we are built on. And so it was a journey, uh, a journey through uh, therapy and pills, and eventually with God's amazing grace, healing. But the prayers and the petitions and the asking and the seeking didn't stop at the healing. It was all just part of the journey. Max and Megan, with our accountability, they pushed us. What are the planks in this difficult time that we were standing on when it should have been a rock? If we fell into that trap of comparison, uh, we would just look to compare house for house. But Jesus invites us to ignore the comparison and instead work on the foundation that is the rock of his word. And if it isn't his word, well, we're going to be standing on a plank. So, who are we meeting? What are we seeking? I share everything with my wife and my friend because they are both good at pushing me back to God. God is my creator so that I don't trample on the sacred. God is my father so that I ask for things that will best see me flourish. God as the alpha and omega so that I don't reduce this awesome creator down to a size that I can handle. God is the perfect judge so that I don't mistake my planks for other people's dust. Is it so easy to get tied up in the first half of this passage that we completely miss the counterbalance that Jesus was giving us. This isn't a piece of judgmental teaching, but a tool to help us in our reflection and our relationship with God. Christ connects us to the sacred. He connects us to all our brothers and sisters. If we don't get the value that God has given his creation, what is the point of caring? Precisely because of this value, that it is worth the awkward conversation. It's worth the elation with life shared. This passage is more than just a call to accountability, but it's certainly not less than that. For those of us at the weekend away, it was a major part of what Tim and Pat spoke about on the Sunday. It's something that we've been building on as a church. So I'd say if you're not in an accountability group, get in one, join a life group, develop relationships, get involved and open up not just so you can feel shame and dread when you share the things you've messed up on, but because you are so worth something. The worth you hold deserves to be revealed. The created order that you have within you deserves to flourish. We are far too precious to God not to do everything we can to protect ourselves. And it's in these relationships we can push into what God has for you, to ask, to seek, to knock. 
there's a reason that the very God who created all of this, the whole universe, desires to have a personal relationship with us. There's a reason that Jesus' only son went to the lengths he did to share this truth. Don't miss the opportunity to hear these reasons. So as I, I finish, I want to leave just with one final picture. Um, I didn't know this until I got married, but diamond rings get dirty. And so when you first get them, they're beautiful and clean and shiny. But over time, grit and dirt and um, muck get stuck to them. So you can take them to a ring shop and they polish them. And it's amazing. They get polished and they look brand new, freshly cut. They go in and they get cleaned. And how they were made to be gets revealed in an instant. Press into what God has for you. Find your created order. Reveal that shine and sparkle. It's too important not to. Amen. Amen.